Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 193 of the Masterclass podcast. I had to think hard about that, Dave, because it's been a month since we recorded, but I nailed it. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm wonderful. How are you? Oh, I'm happy to be here, man. Life. Yeah. It's, so what what the listeners may or may not know, I don't know, is that while we haven't recorded in, in a month due to life, we have, in fact both traveled to Austin, Texas, seen each other for the first time in person in three years and spent an entire weekend at the Formula One Grand Prix and had, I would dare say, a good old time. Yeah, it was very good. We got uh, like five pounds of French fries and like the greasiest burgers you've ever seen from like, what was it like the world's largest grill? How big would you say that thing? Like, how long was that? (laughs) that is a good question. Well, I'm I mean, thinking that like a hundred, 120 feet long. So, yeah. So, um, I think it's the equivalent of what they're, I think they're 110 foot trailer. So yeah. Giant grill. Yeah. Up top where they were prepping all the food and then all the food is finished on like what those are like six by three, six by four flat grills where they were doing all of the, the finishing mm-hmm. work. And it was like 90 degrees outside and sunny. And these poor people, mm. No, I shouldn't say poor people. These unfortunate. They they made a lot <laughs> of money. I got yeah. I got a burger. A $21. Yeah, burger. $21 for a burger. Uh and the line it was just never ending. So th- certainly not poor, just unfortunate in the fact that they were well, we couldn't yeah, tell the sweat from the so grease, hard. you know. Um, yeah. but we survived that burger and the whole weekend and it was uh it was a good time, and we got to hang out with your dad. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't seen him in about <laughs> the same amount of period as you and I hadn't seen each other, so it was good to see him. What was your favorite part of being at the Grand Prix? What was my favorite part? Or maybe of... maybe your most unexpected. Like, what's the thing that surprised you the most? I love putting Dave on the spot. <laughs> um so this is i hope this comes out the right way uh i hadn't quite put the association of uh austin texas being so close to mexico and Uh, the fact that red bulls has a driver who is from Mexico mm-hmm. and so uh so so there was there was kind of that like that aspect of it that um was just um well pardon me is just naive in thinking this is my stereotype my prejudice not thinking oh Mexico's a big race you know they got a bunch of race fans uh-huh. in Mexico that they would come to America when they have their own grand prix and i'm guessing in, for a lot of them some of that travel is probably easier for Austin but then i think the other thing that surprised me or like just i was interesting is is just um how passionate people can be about their quote unquote team Mm -hmm. to the point where we had both a Lewis Hamilton fan and a, uh, Max Verstappen fan that like flipped the other driver off every single time. 56 laps. Yeah. 56 laps. Um, well, and 
so th- there was that. I'm going to piggyback on that. And there was also, if you remember, the guy, the row in front of us to the left was the Verstappen fan. And then down the row for me was the was another Hamilton. Hamilton. And they were oh, like, yeah. they were jawing at each other. Each other, yeah. And like waiting for the one not to look so they could like flip each other off and like, you know, give each other. And it was just like. And one of them was like, I'm like, sir, you're like 46. This dude's 23 and wears a gold chain. Why are you wasting yeah. your and time <laughs> with him? Like he chooses to look like this and you're choosing to let him get under your skin. I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I, you know, I, um, it makes me curious to know what attending a Grand Prix in other countries would be like. Oh, I want to give so the and given that they are truly all over the world, I'm guessing like almost every experience is different. And so, yeah. So for me, um, it was maybe just the whole F1 culture and, um, America, like, I really do think that the Netflix series has done a lot to bump that. And, um, Anyway, I don't want to get in the, into the weeds with this, uh, but yeah, it just the whole F1 culture uh, that it truly is a worldwide um, sporting event. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anything for you that you had in mind when you were? Well, see, so that part of it didn't surprise me. That part of it is what I was looking forward to was trying to like see gotcha. okay, how many people from different countries are here. And so there was one point we were having lunch in the tent. Um, I think it was day two and there was that entire extended family from Spain that was the table across from us. And I was mm-hmm. fascinated by listening to their conversation. And there was this other group from Germany. And then there was this other like old lady passed out on the floor, you know, like, cause it was so hot. Uh, and so like the international, she was probably from Texas. <laughs> yeah, probably. Right. But like the, the international flavor of it is one of the things that I was looking forward to. I think the thing that surprised me the most was the, the cars were not as loud as I expected them to yeah. be. Now they are hybrids. So they're not as loud as they used to be. Right. There's no V12s right. in there. Just go, 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 you know, but yeah. uh, they weren't as loud as I thought. Um, they're faster than I thought. Like, I don't know what 180 miles an hour looks like. I have nothing to compare it to. I've never driven that fast. I've never seen anything go that fast. Like at that, I've seen airplanes, but at a distance they move like, yeah. you know, <laughs> Incrementally. an inch every second. Right. So being as close as we were to the track, and even that corner is not a very fast corner. Mm-mm. Like it's, it's a corner you break into it and then you turn, it's like a 90 degree, but even the speed they were taking that and then accelerating out of the corner. And then when I think it was Fernando Alonso, when he spun in our corner and came at and hit the gravel yeah. patch in front of our, uh, our seats, like there's like a, there's like a 12 or 14 foot fence with an angled, you know, fence on top of it. And we were what we were 12 rows up, six rows up. I don't know, something somewhere in there. Upper single digits, lower double digits, right? Yeah, we were in row six, but we I don't know six, yeah. um, how that... But I remember seeing that happen, and my heart was like... <laughs> like, dodge the tires. Whoa, what's going to happen? Um, so I just... Yeah, it was it was a really, really good experience. I, I'm going to sound like an absolute Yankee here when I say I wish it wasn't in Texas, because I feel like the foreigners get a very, very specific view of what American life is like. <laughs> and that is not how I grew up, uh, which doesn't make how I grew up better. 
It doesn't. It's just yeah. different, right? And um, next year there will be a race in Austin and also in Miami, another southern town, but very, very, very different from Austin in culture and ethnicity and food and, and all of that stuff. Um, so it would, yeah. And that's to your point. Like, I wonder what it would be like, like we talked about going to Montreal, which would be mm-hmm. totally different than seeing a race in Austin in every conceivable way. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah, You know what I mean? Um, so it was just, yeah, it was a great experience. I highly recommend it. Um, to anybody that's at least interested in either really fun people watching or doing that and watching good racing at the same time. Um, yep. You might even get to meet Ricky Bobby. Oh, David. <laughs> Why did you bring him up? Because <laughs> now I'm going to have to put a picture in the show notes and I really don't want to. <laughs> Writing it down now, Cam and Ricky Bobby. <sighs> So we saw two people impersonating famous race car drivers. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I forgot about that one. The first one we saw was someone dressed like Lewis Hamilton, who is a real-life driver, a seven-time world champion, going to go down as the greatest of all time, um, currently racing uh, and has for a long time for Mercedes. Uh, he is British, but he is also black. And the reason I bring this up is solely because the person dressed as Lewis Hamilton was a white guy with face black on <laughs> or blackface. Sorry, whatever that I, sh- I shouldn't laugh. It's and it was one of those where like that was an uncomfortable laugh. It, I couldn't. I just stared. I just yeah. stared. And then we saw him again with either his wife or his girlfriend who was dressed completely normally and was like walking with him as if what he was doing was totally cool. It was incredibly uncomfortable for everybody that saw it. Um, yeah. Anyways. And then there was also a Ricky Bobby lookalike, which was much more entertaining, but I was not thrilled Cause I didn't even think he looked that much like him to be honest. I didn't either. And Ricky Bobby raced NASCAR. So why are you trying to, you know, come to the highfalutin formula one race? And then I got mad because I saw that this guy has a wedding ring and I'm like, all right, time out. So this guy spends his weekends dressing like a Will Will Ferrell character and he's married and I'm single. Like, how does this work? (laughs) How does this work? So anyways, he was taking photos with everybody else around us. And then decided, and, and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, that I needed to have a photo with him. So he walked up and said, you take a picture. This guy needs a photo. And I didn't, I communicated with my face non-verbally that I was not pleased that I got chosen to take a picture. And then he decided we needed to take a second one. And he gave me the, you're a bad, naughty, you know, whatever finger. And then moved on Which- with his life. Yeah, it was a very good picture. <laughs> so we'll we'll put one yeah. of those two pictures of me and the fake Ricky Bobby, Richard Robert. We'll call him uh, in the uh, in the show notes. There you go. All right. Well, 
That was fun. Oh. And by the time this episode comes out, you'll probably know who won wins the world championship <laughs> in F1 because we're getting pretty close. So, all right. That is that. I can't believe I'm going to put a picture of me and a fake Ricky Bobby on the internet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Dave, um, what are we talking about tonight? We have moved on to Hebrews 11. And so we're going to read the first six verses of chapter 11 in Hebrews. Let's do it. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your... Fine reading of the word of the well, Lord. Thank you. All right. Faith. Mildly important, wouldn't you say? Uh, yes, I would say it's very important. Ah, all right. Indeed. So it says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so this is where, like, I love this definition of faith because it's not trying to hide what it is. It's just saying, look, we realize this is what some people might call a shot in the dark. Like this is, this is not uh, something that we have proved by the scientific method. This is not something concrete that we can build a house upon. This is like we under, when we say that we believe and we say that we have faith, we, we know what we're saying. Like we realize some people are going to hear this and go, (laughs) what idiots, they have no evidence. They have no proof. We cannot build a criminal case on this, right? Like this is not going to, but I like that it just calls out. Yes. This is the assurance of things that we are hoping for. And we are convicted of things that we cannot see. Like the, I I respect that. And I think that people who think that faith is silly should also respect the fact that this definition calls faith at face value. Mm -hmm. We're not pretending we're not masquerading it as something like it is what it is. And if you don't believe you don't believe that's fine, but we do. And we're not trying to hedge our bets here. And I really appreciate that because I think a lot of times we try and mix our faith with 
culture, with um, apologetics, with evidence, in ways to make faith more appealing to the people that require the mm-hmm. the the concrete facts. And it, w- what I think that does is, I honestly, I think that cheapens faith, right? Because what we know from Scripture is that faith is something that God gives to people. It's not something that we are capable of coming to of our own volition, of our own uh, putting the pieces together. Like faith is something that God gives His people, the people that He chooses, and this is where all of our non all of our non reformed um, listeners get mad at me. Um, but we can have that conversation another time. And that is a key choking point for a lot of people when it comes to Christianity, is the idea that faith stands alone as faith. It's not supported by what I can prove. And now there are certain, there are certain you know, places where, you know, like historical criticism and, you know, evidence for the resurrection and all that sort of stuff to prove certain things, but those things don't end in saving faith. Those things end in, oh, this is plausible or more plausible perhaps than I thought it was before. Mm -hmm. But the idea here, this idea of faith, and I can't hammer this home enough, is that God gives faith to people as a gift through the Holy Spirit. This is something that he gives to people. And if that's the case, then faith has to stand alone as a unique thing that is not tied to anything that a human could create on their own. It has to be supernatural by definition. Right. And so I just really appreciate verse one for what it is. A, a clear, unapologetic, this is what faith is. And if this bothers you, it means you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And I can get yeah. down with that. <laughs> yeah. I remember being at a youth pastor conference and, you know, somebody was giving a message just basically on uh, the importance of relationships and being involved in people's lives. And, you know, we can certainly do like what you and I do with the podcast, discussing our faith, you know, those sorts of things. But his, his point was, is raise your hand. If you came to faith through somebody winning an argument, you know, they just made such a good point that you were like, Oh my gosh, how could I have believed anything? But you know, you win. I, you, when you put it that way, yes. You know, <laughs> and, and he basically, his point was, is, you know, if you, if you think about your conversion story or, or, or how you, you know, came in to faith, it, there truly is like a relationship involved. Uh, it doesn't mean that there weren't those kinds of conversations, uh, but most likely there wasn't just that defining moment of, <laughs> oh, okay. And so that has, that has stuck with me of, um, you're really not going to argue anybody into the kingdom. You know, you're just, it's just not going to happen. And for the very reason that you just said, it's not, it's not a human, uh, it's, we have no human ability to do that. So, and I, one, I totally agree Two. I can already hear people because I have these people in my life that hear that 
and see that as grounds for why it's false, right? Well, if I if you can't explain it, if you can't reason it, if you can't argue me into it, then it certainly can't be real. And somehow, you know, we're the closed-minded ones. And that 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 always has struck me as as a um what's the word I'm looking for? Not not hypocrisy, uh false dichotomy? Is that what I'm I don't know. I'm I'm words are failing me right now. But but the idea that if I can't argue you into it, then it must be false. Is just it's it's such a narrow-minded view of reality and truth. And uh to say for me to say that that faith is a gift and something that God gives and is something that you know stands above reason will frankly piss a lot of people off and they'll call it a cop out but it's only because it doesn't fit into their rubric for how to analyze things and don't get me wrong i love logic i'm right. a very oh, yeah. logical person you know this that like it it is it is how i function a majority of the time, how I make decisions, how I try to make wise decisions, how I try to understand the world around me to a certain extent. But as much as humans love logic, we are emotional and spiritual creatures as well. Logic only goes so far. When you get punched in the face or your heart gets broken or tragedy strikes or, or you're, you know, threatened, logic goes out the window and you become an emotional and spiritual being in your fullest extent, right? And so, like, like I'll just, I'll level with you. Like, when my wife left and filed for divorce, I tried to logic the absolute crap out of that situation. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a logical situation. It was an emotional and spiritual situation. And I had to, over the course of almost, two years now, a little over two years, realized that I was never going to logic my way into an answer. And it still bothers me that I don't have a logical reason for why what happened happened. Mm -hmm. But I've come to the understanding that I'm not going to get a logical answer and that I need to embrace the emotional and spiritual side and try to learn from that angle. And that's much more difficult. Logic is easy because logic is clean. One plus one equals two, right? Yeah. It's much more simple, much easier for us to wrap our minds around than mm-hmm. the gray area that is emotion and is spirituality. Right. And that's where this whole idea of faith comes in. And I can, I, I can, I can appreciate from both sides, why this definition of faith would seem unsatisfactory to people that rely on logic for everything, but also would see it as I see it, which is a great definition from the side of people that would say logic only gets us so far, but there's more to life than this. Um, and as, as we were talking, um, I, I do believe so. C.S. Lewis is is what's coming to my mind, 
And um, if listeners are so inclined, or if this is, if if having the argument and the apologetics and some of those things, uh, go. So um, it's cslewisinstitute.org. Um, it's about C.S. Lewis and it talks about his conversion. And um, C.S. Lewis frequently referred to him himself as a reluctant convert, <laughs> and it was because. As he looked at, and, and there's, he, you know, uh, um, I'm drawing a blank on the, the author that he hung out with. Tolkien. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about some, some intellectuals here and some people that mm-hmm. have had, <clears throat> excuse me, significant impact on, um, on culture. Yeah. Over the last, even like, pop culture and years, even a yeah. hundred years later. Yeah. Um, Anyway, if that is something you're interested in, I just, I felt like I, I felt the need to just kind of throw C.S. Lewis out there, uh, check him out and his journey and, and just, um, uh, the fact that he did, um, he did, uh, really kind of research it <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, but anyway, so I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, no, I, I, hundred percent second that his, his whole approach and then eventual conversion is, um, especially for people that consider themselves intellectuals and, you know, logical beings and, and all of that. It's, it's really interesting to read his process, his journey in, in getting from where he was to where he wound up. Um, very helpful for sure. All right, so verse 2, for by it, faith, right? So for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. They got awards, Dave. <laughs> Just I, I, all I can think about is Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, which I realize, you know, um, shows <laughs> where and when I grew up, even though I never did Boy Scouts. But when I hear commendations, <laughs> I think of like the little badges you get, you know? Here's your balsa yes. wood badge, Bobby. Good job. You made a plane. <laughs> All right. Uh, by faith, we understand that, uni- that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, so this is a massive sentence. The universe was created by the word of God. This takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter one, right? In mm-hmm. the beginning, yep. God created the heavens. And it, it, it spells out that God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let, let the water and the land be separated. Let the expanse and be like, it, it goes through everything. And it's not God molding things with his hands or building them with it's he speaks and it happens which to this day still blows my mind especially like as a dad now of an almost five-year-old if i say something and it gets done (laughs) i feel like the king of the world i'm like hey and and it, it happens but not as frequently as I would like, where I'm like, hey, Kennedy, I need you to clean your toys up. Every once in a while, she'll go, okay, daddy, I'll do that. And then she does it. And I just like, I have infinite power. 
But most of the time she's like, I don't want to, or can I finish my show or you need to help me or like 95 other, right? Cause she's four going on five. Like she just, mm-hmm. that's just the nature. Right. But that is me speaking to my child, right. Who is an intelligent being who can process, you know, requests and, and, and that's not control. That's just a relationship. God is speaking things into existence that did not exist before. He has an idea for what something should be, and poof, there's a duckbill platypus. Like <laughs> it, yeah. it's it is fundamentally different. Every, yeah, and then it's the universe. Every <sighs> like, and it's stuff that we're never gonna see or never gonna know exists ever. Unless God decides to tell us about it once we get to heaven or like there's these little rooms where we're like, oh, look at this whole galaxy. We never knew existed over here. Why is everyone purple? Because why not? You know, like it's this part of it fascinates me because like we are so we are so us centric, right? Yeah. But like there's this vast universe and you look at the diversity on this planet between the the you know the ecosystems you've got desert and tropical rainforest and everything in between whether it's the arctic or like the the forests of northern america in southern canada like to to india to australia to sub-saharan africa to your like just just environmentally to the coral reefs like environmentally the diversity is insane then you add in all of the animals and all of the people, which comes with culture and food and music and language mm. and history, like on one planet in a right. universe <clears throat> that we don't know how big it is or what it contains. And God spoke all of that into existence just by thinking it and going, hmm, I like that. And then a word. And it was like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, and then you add the additional layer of John one, which, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And just that whole dynamic of, you know, all things were created through Jesus, you know, the word of God. And it's just, again. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that that noise was my brain just like <clears throat> breaking for a second. I, I didn't mean I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry, finish your thought. No, you're fine. No, that's and that's just I I really just was like, you know, like even just saying the word of God. This there's there's it, it is infinitely more than we can even understand. You know, and who he and and Jesus and you know, so that was just all I wanted to add. Well, yeah, and you think about what Jesus did, right, while he was here on earth and the change he made, right? Like, the thing that that cracks me up is, like, we got, you know, before, like, you know, people got woke, there was B.C. and A.D., right? Before Christ (laughs) and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. But they're like, well, we don't need that. So we're going to go BCE and CE before current era and current era. Well, guess what? That still pivots on 
Yeah, the birth of Christ. The birth of Jesus. So, like, you can change the name all you want. That's totally fine. But it still pivots on the same fulcrum. And that's that's Jesus. So you can yeah. you can try and remove him from the equation by changing the name of how we do time. But only one person in the history yeah. of ever has altered how we measure time. Yeah. And it's this dude. So, yeah. I can. Yeah, that was a really good pull on John one. I wasn't even thinking that, Dave, but you were spot on, sir. <laughs> and and that's a whole nother five hour. I know. And that's why, right? that's where I was like, yeah, that's what I mean. Like you, the layers to that. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe yeah. we should do John next. Anyways, uh, we got to finish Hebrews first. First, if I can enunciate correctly. I'm just going to read verse three one more time, just to conclude that, that thought by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, which feels like a brag. I'm going to be honest. Cause like you and I can only make things out of other things, right? Right. Like when you're fixing your car, you can't just go, brand new ball joint and have one show up in your hand. You have to go find one at a store that was made by somebody in a plant out of materials that they pulled out of the earth. Right? Like all of these things, there's a trail to get back to the original, you know, like the closest we can get to this to me is like photography and videography. Right. But all I'm doing, I'm not creating, I'm just capturing the light. I'm not creating anything. I'm just, I'm saving a moment or moments in time that I can Mm -hmm. look back upon, but I'm not creating anything. I'm just allowing someone to have a visual cue of a memory. Mm -hmm. So even that's like a cheap, you know, version of what (laughs) God did, like, and water and light and man and woman and animals and like that's just nuts man we are incredibly blessed that god is good and not and <laughs> and not even just like mediocre like if god was mediocre imagine how awful everything would be yeah oh well, yeah but the fact that god who has that type of power is good is the only reason we're all still alive and well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Verse four, unless there's something else that, that we need to No. Okay. So it says by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So this to me is a not so subtle reference to the fact that though you have faith, things are not guaranteed to go well for you. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is, I mean, Cain and Abel, like we just talked about creation, right? Adam and Eve, the fall, things go bad. Very next thing, Cain and Abel. Like we mm-hmm. have not moved very far into the Bible at this point. I think we're what f- chapter four, chapter five of Genesis. The fall is chapter three, <laughs> I believe. And then immediately after that, Cain and Abel happens. And it's the mm-hmm. first murder, the first death that we hear about in the Bible. Because one got jealous that God looked on the other with more 
um, uh, what's the word? Approval, um, affection. And so Abel makes an offering that God accepts above or in place of Cain's offering. Cain gets angry, kills Abel, and the rest is history. And so I think it's just interesting that one, the author of Hebrews doesn't skip over this part of Genesis, considering we just went back there with the, with the previous verse. But it's it's a a incredibly important aspect, right, of this idea that like though you have faith, suffering will not dissipate, and sometimes that suffering is death. And I mean, that is not yeah, you something don't... you hear very often, especially in like <laughs> suburban American Christianity where you've got positive family friendly radio and all of that garbage where it's all about just like love, love, life is good. Oh my gosh, we have seven couches. Aren't we happy? But like real life is hard and suffering exists for everybody. And if Jesus had to suffer, you can darn well believe we're going to as well, because he was perfect, and we certainly aren't. So we bring our own suffering upon ourselves and our sin. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, no, you, that's exactly what I was about to say. Of just You don't get a lot of sermons, at least I'm not aware of a lot of sermons, of be like Cain, and you're... you're <laughs> you can be commended as righteous and then be dead. Uh-huh. You know, like we think, oh, I'll be commended as righteous and I won't die. And I'll be rich and I won't get and sick. I'll be, and the yeah, whole, I'll be a- what, oh my gosh, yeah, the whole um, prosperity gospel nonsense. But he calls that out right here. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. So he was... He was given righteousness. God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his face, though he died, he still speaks. So there's, there's this idea that, right, he had faith. He was commended as righteous. He still died. His faith mm. did not prevent something bad from happening to him. But he still speaks, which is, a, uh, I think, a very unsubtle reference to being with God for eternity. This, this internal, eternal salvation sure. that we have, right? And that, that is part of our faith. That we may, we, not we may, we will endure suffering. Yeah. But that suffering is not in vain. We hope our faith is assurance that the suffering we go through now is not permanent, is not eternal, that it will end, that there will be healing, that there will be a time when we will be made right with God permanently in a place where sin does not exist. And if that means I have to suffer now, because I live in a time and a place where I choose to sin, which... That's a whole nother conversation that I think we maybe have a sec, a, a, like a special episode on, right? It's like this, this idea that like we can have faith and we can be saved and we can be in the process of <laughs> sanctification and yet still choose to sin. That's a whole nother, like my brain is fully occupied with that whole 
dumpster fire of a of a situation. Um so anyways. Anything you want to add there on verse four? I you know, I just the thing that comes to my mind is you know, th- through everything that we've been saying is is we want to make the story about us and how important we are. And really it's about God and glorifying him and how awesome he is and who he is. And I think that's one of the things that we've really gotten sort of twisted uh, is just how important we view ourselves as individuals. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's about God. It's about him being glorified and not, yeah anyway yeah <laughs> it's not about you it's not about me it's about god so yeah absolutely easy to agree with hard to live out yeah well and then you know the next one kind of next verse five <laughs> kind of goes into what we were talking about um he didn't have to die which is weird right it is weird. So it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, like, so there's there's this one, and did Melchizedek ever die, or is he just super old? I can't remember. I think he was just super old. <clears throat> I, there are two people who do who kind of are acknowledged in the Bible as not dying. And okay, I think so it's it Melch- Melchizedek. I think it's Melchizedek. Enoch. Enoch, yeah. Yeah, but, but Melchizedek also lived like super long, right? I wasn't wrong about that. <laughs> I don't know. Pretty please. Can I not be wrong? <laughs> this this one I need to do more research on because I'm very curious. <laughs> And like, I don't think there's just an answer somewhere in the scroll. It's like Enoch didn't die because X, Y, and Z. Uh, so I don't think there's a clean answer here, but I would be very interested in spending more time researching um, Enoch and Melchizedek and, and trying to see what people's best guesses are for why they didn't have to die, but Jesus did. Yes. Or and maybe not, maybe say, not even have to, but why they didn't and he did. Yeah. So it's it's Enoch and Elijah. I did a quick Google. Mm. Look at us. We know our stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's even. I mean, it's, it's noted in this that it was taken up so that he should not see death. And that. Cain died and Abel Abel died or I'm sorry, Abel died. Um, And, you know, one of the things I have found fascinating is the Hebrew people who this is written to. And I know there, there was a lot of different people that fall under the Hebrew nation. So, but just the idea of not believing in the resurrection, mm. you know, mm. that, that, that really was a post Jesus kind of concept. Like prior to Jesus, there wasn't a lot of resurrection talk. And then, you know, Jesus talks about 
King David. And anyway, there's something significant here to experiencing death. Yes. Back to your point of why did Jesus experience, you know, he quote unquote uh, overcame death. So there's, uh, there's something just very central to what Christianity and our faith and God and our experience uh, that death is central to all that. And I'm not trying to be more profound. I guess I'm just saying I have to research this more or look into this more. And it's one of those things I don't know a lot about. Well, it, it I, I think there's a, there's an interesting tie between faith and death, right? Like if you, we cannot know what lies beyond death. It is unknowable. That is, that is a one-way ticket, right? And you, know, you have stories of people that, you know, have medically died and then come back to life, whether through resuscitation or, or miracles or whatever. And, and I actually work with a guy, and he, you know, he says he's died twice. And, like, medically, he was dead. Like, his heart had stopped. And then like two or three minutes later, he came back um, and he happens to be a Christian, but like he may have medically died for a minute or two, but like he came back. So he didn't die, die. Right. And, and I think, and this is just me spitballing off of what we were just talking about is we cannot know what is beyond death. We just can't. Because if you come back from, you know, a brief medical death, you didn't really die. Like, you just kind of paused for a while. And the only person that's come back is Jesus. Right. Because it wasn't a pause. It was three days. Like, that's not a, that's not a nap. That's a death. <laughs> And it requires it, it like that, that takes us beyond the realm of logic because there's no way to reason out what lies beyond death because there is no evidence. There's no scientific observation. Like there, the, death is unknowable. What happens after just by definition. And so I, I, I just wonder if, if death is such a, a central concept of our our faith because it requires faith to believe beyond the knowable uh, yes yeah good point which i think leads us uh quite nicely uh, very unintentionally but quite nicely into verse 6 <laughs> which says and without faith it is impossible to please him being god for whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him um oh and we don't have an hour to break this one down um i talked earlier about how faith is a gift from god right we we don't we, we can't have faith on our own because really quickly before we are given the gift of faith, we are spiritually dead, right? Dead people cannot do anything. They can't affect anything. They can't change anything. They can't think. They can't act. They can't speak. They can't. They're dead. They are fundamentally 
dead. And before we know God, we are spiritually dead. We are unaware. We are unable to change or act. We are unable to enter. Like, we, we are dead. So, faith is a gift, and that faith brings us back to life, which then allows us to act and engage and affect and all of those things. But it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? Why? Because we're dead. You can't please somebody when you're dead because you can't do anything because you're dead. So by giving us faith, we are able to draw near to God. We must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So it's, it's this, this idea, right, that like faith brings us back to life. And once we are given life and understand who has given us life, it would only make sense for us to want to draw near and believe in God. And it would only make sense that God will want to reward those who he has chosen to give life to. Because the whole reason he gives us life is so that we would draw near and be part of his family and glorify him and be in right relationship the way we were supposed to be in the beginning. It's quite a virtuous little synergism, if I can use a <laughs> stupid business word, in my day job. That was that was the sixty second take at at the whole concept of <laughs> of of faith and spiritual death. I'm sure I missed a few points, but here we are. Faith. It is the crux of existence, whether you believe or you don't believe. They're like it, it is it is the one bridge, right? Like you have to cross that bridge. Or you choose to believe that that bridge doesn't exist. Like you have two options here. You can't be like faith question mark. Cause eventually if that's where you are, eventually you're gonna land with yes or no. Right. And if you land with yes, it's because God has given you the faith. And if you land on no, it's because either he hasn't or you have refused it, which is a whole other conversation. Um, I know we always say that, and I swear it's not an excuse. It's just we're already 52 <laughs> minutes into this, and I really want to go finish the Michigan basketball game before I go to bed. Like, I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> it's the first game of the season. I'm really excited. They look great. Um, but this is, I mean, we're, we are, we are six chapter or six verses into uh forty verses of chapter eleven, which is often called the Hall of Faith. So we're gonna get into Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and yada 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 like everybody. So like we are not we're not cutting our discussion on faith short here by by saying we don't have time to discuss certain things, but like we're gonna spend some time here. For sure, um, I guess I just yeah. I mean, it's it it is the it's it's the bridge, right? It's the choke point. It's the the thing that will tip the fulcrum, right? It will tip in one way or the other for people, and it is it is the thing that separates God's children. From everybody else. Was that too harsh? Or 
Well, I mean, it's know. right. I know, <laughs> but <clears throat> you can you can be right without being harsh as well. So I'm 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 trying to learn that. Man, that sounded so cocky. <laughs> I did not mean it to sound like that. I think that made me stop talking. Uh, I think you're good. I just, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I can be very direct. And in certain circumstances, that is a good thing, right? Um, I can imagine in your previous career that being direct in certain circumstances saved people's lives. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are times when, you know, being less direct and being more compassionate is just as, if not more effective. Doesn't mean you're, you're shading the truth, but how you say things matters, right? We all know this. Um, and, and I'm, I'm still, I think, learning how to, uh, how to do that better. So it's a good thing I've been talking into a microphone on the internet for almost seven years. <laughs> Because there's not a back catalog of me saying potentially, potentially dumb things. Good thing I already have a church. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Any closing thoughts before I drive this thing firmly into the ground? No, I, I, I think you already hit on it. Just that we've just scratched the surface with this and there's plenty more by faith to discuss so i imagine we will be in chapter 11 for more than a couple episodes indeed all right so thanks to everyone for checking out this 193rd episode of the masterclass podcast you can find show notes at supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 193 uh, links to all the good stuff we talked about. And uh, in addition to that, you will find ways to get in contact with Dave or I, should you uh, desire to do so. And uh, we'll be back next time with more of Hebrews chapter 11 in episode 194. See ya. Bye.